Good evening, friends, and a very warm welcome to our service of worship. It's lovely to be with you here again this evening, and we pray God's blessing as we seek to worship His name in spirit and in truth. We're going to do so now by singing to God's praise. We're going to sing from Psalm 148, the Scottish Psalter version of Psalm 148. That's the first version of the psalm. Praise God from heavens, praise the Lord. In heights praise to him be, all ye his angels praise ye him, his hosts all praise him ye. We're going to stand to sing verses 1 to 8 if you're able, praise God from heavens, praise the Lord. Unite our hearts in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and ever blessed God, who is a God like unto thee, that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgressions 
of the remnant of his heritage. You are Lord of Lords, you are King of Kings. You are the one who is holy, 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 prophet, priest and king. The one who is teaching us in his word, the one who is interceding on our behalf, the one who is ruling and reigning enthroned upon our hearts. If tonight we can call you Father, and we come, O Lord, and we seek for this short time to know what it is to truly worship you in spirit and in truth. You are worthy of all praise and adoration. You are worthy that your name would afresh be high and lifted up. And as we reflect upon our own hearts by nature, we come and we confess our sin. We acknowledge that in many ways we are unable to bring glory to your name. We are unable to worship you in the way that is fitting, the way that we ought. But yet we come, O Lord, and we acknowledge this evening that we have nothing that we can bring, that our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, they are like soiled garments, so that all that we have to cling on to is that which you have given to us. And so we come, O Lord, and we offer your righteousness. We come in your name, standing upon your promises. And as we do so, O Lord, we give thanks. We give thanks that you are our God, that you are the one who has taken us from darkness into your own most marvellous light, from death to life. You're the one who has opened the ears of our understanding so that we can hear the voice of Jesus call us to himself. And so we pray, O Lord, that this evening that we would indeed hear your voice, that you would speak to us powerfully, that we would not be content with any mere outward form of religious worship, but rather that we would seek that your Holy Spirit would come and anoint us from on high, that your word would go out with great power, and that we would be able to say it was good for us to meet. And for any here this evening, or perhaps joining us online, who are unable to know what it is to identify as a child of God, who, as we thought of even this day, are still sitting at the gate, beautiful, looking for something to fulfill that empty void within their hearts. We pray for them. We pray that even this evening that you might be pleased to touch them. How we long to see souls saved. How we long to see days of revival and renewal. And we confess that this must begin with us as your people, that we would return to our first love, that we would be enthralled by the wonder of that sacrificial act of love that was wrought for us on Calvary's hill. Forgive us for the many times that what you have done for us grows strangely dim in our hearts and in our minds as we find ourselves 
so often defined by our experience rather than our Saviour. And so, Lord, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, we pray, that even this area of the Black Isle would be revived by the power of your Holy Spirit so that all the many who are in their homes this evening quite content, living afar from you as we once were ourselves, that they would be drawn not by might or not by power, but by my Spirit alone. For this is what you say, that this dear congregation would see days of awakening, days of refreshing, and that all that they seek to do in your name would be richly blessed. We pray for those who cannot be with us here this evening, whose heart's desire is to gather with your people in this way, but for one reason or another are unable to to join in this fellowship of uh, your people. We pray for them, that you would be with them where they are. And we give thanks, O Lord, that you are a God who knows no bounds, that you are omnipresent, and that you are able at all times to meet us at our particular point of need. We pray for those who are struggling with the infirmity of health, those who are reminded of the frailty of the flesh and even the mind, those who are struggling perhaps even to face another day on life's journey, that you would be with them, that you would draw them under your wings so that they might know that comfort that is to be found only in you. We acknowledge that we live in a world that challenges us in many different ways. But yet even when we look within, we see challenges in our own hearts that at times cause us to despair. But yet we thank you all the more that you have not left us to yourself, that you have not given to us our just rewards, but rather that you offer to us that new and that living way in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. That you, O Lord, promise that for all who come unto you, you will in no wise cast them out. That we would all come to you this evening in worship and even in the days that lie ahead as we go through the ordinary every day of our callings, wherever they may be, as we find ourselves undoubtedly distracted by the world, the flesh, and even the devil, that you would be, O Lord, with us, encircling us with a wall of fire, enabling us to witness mightily on your side as bright beacons in the darkness of this world, a world that is crying out for hope, a hope that is only found in you. We pray for our nation at this time, for our Prime Minister, our First Minister, our King. We pray for all who rule over us in various ways and capacities as they themselves face various challenges. We commit them to you, O Lord, and we seek that once again by your Holy Spirit that righteousness would exalt a nation. We know that you are the God who is able to do all things, to even change the hearts of our leaders so that their wisdom is sought not from themselves but from their creator God. 
And so we pray, O Lord, that you would be with us now as we come around your word, that you would grant us a stillness of heart and mind, that we would humbly sit under your word rather than over it in condemnation, that we would be willing to apply it to ourselves first and foremost, and that in doing so that we would grow in the knowledge and in the grace of our Lord and Saviour and be equipped in the week that is ahead to be disciples, ambassadors for the one who died and gave himself for us. And so forgive us now for our sins, for they are many and not few. Grant unto us even a, a hatred for that which cost you so much that we would seek to to turn our back on sin and run from it in the strength of the Lord, seeking to have a thirst and a hunger after righteousness so that we might be filled, filled to overflowing by your grace and mercy. Go with us then, we pray, and forgive us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. We're going to sing once more, friends. We're going to sing from Psalm 8. This is a Scottish Psalter version of Psalm 8. How excellent in all the earth, Lord, our Lord, is thy name, who hast thy glory far advanced above the starry frame. We'll stand to sing verses 1 to 5 to the praise of our Lord.
Well, friends, let's turn now to read God's Word. We're going to turn to Exodus chapter 3. <coughs> Exodus chapter 3, and we'll read the whole chapter together. Let us hear the Word of God. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why, this bush, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you, and I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve, the God, serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, 
And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt by all the wonders that I will do in it. After that he will let you go and I will give this people favour in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbour and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewellery and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Amen. We pray God's blessing on that reading of his own most holy and inspired word. Well, friends, before we come back to that chapter, we're going to sing once more together. Psalm 50, this is the Scottish Psalter version again. The first version of the psalm, The mighty God, the Lord, hath spoken and did call the earth from rising of the sun to where he hath his fall. We'll stand to sing verses 1 to 6, 1 to 5, I think it is. 1 to 5, to the praise of our Lord. The mighty God, the Lord, standing to sing.
Friends, let's turn back to the chapter we read together, Exodus chapter 2. We're going to take our text this evening from the words we have in verse 2. Exodus chapter 3, rather, and verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. The traditional motto of the Free Church of Scotland is Necht Hamen Consumibatar. I'm sure we've seen it written many a time with the logo of the burning bush. And that's exactly where this comes from, Necht Hamen Consumibatar. It comes from the burning bush. It comes from the very verse that we've taken as our text this evening. And it's this text, this particular text, there's a, a whole lot of detail in this chapter, but it's this particular text that I'd like us to focus on just for a short time as we consider this burning bush, as we look at this extraordinary incident that uh, is in the experience of Moses. Now, I don't need to go into much detail as to the context of the chapter. I'm sure many of you remember that Moses, he was, of course, a, a Hebrew child. He was saved by Pharaoh's daughter. He was taken into the house of Pharaoh, where he grew up and he spent 40 years of his life. At this time, of course, the Hebrews, the Israelites, they were in bondage. They were in bondage to Pharaoh who was working them essentially within an inch of their lives. Now Moses couldn't but see the injustice of it all. Yes, he was enjoying all the trappings of a comfortable lifestyle in the palace, but he couldn't help but remember his roots, who it was he came from, that his people were being dealt with in such an unjust way. This grieved him. It troubled him. So much so that you remember that Moses, of course, took the law into his own hands. And we read in the previous chapter that when he saw an Egyptian beating one of his brethren, he killed him. He killed him. And not only did he kill him, but he buried him in the sand. When Pharaoh finds out, he is, of course, enraged. It becomes clear to, to Pharaoh that uh, because Moses has, has begun to fight back against his brutal regime, he wasn't to be trusted, that he, he must be dealt with. And so at the age of 40, we see Moses fleeing Egypt and beginning this new life in Midian. Here he gets married and for the next 40 years, he acts as a shepherd, as we read, for his father-in-law, Jethro, choosing, as we read in Hebrews 11, rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of, in rather, Egypt. And that's where we pick up the narrative here in chapter 3. And so this evening, what I'd like us to do is to, to think about, we thought about an encounter this morning. We're going to think about a different encounter this evening. An encounter that Moses has during his time in Horeb. 
And we're going to have two simple headings to hang our thoughts on this evening. First of all, we're going to think about the angel that is here spoken of. And then secondly, we're going to think about how this angel manifested himself to Moses, how it appeared, or how he appeared to Moses. So we've got the angel and the appearance. The angel and the appearance. Let's look at verse 2 together. Uh, Verse 1, rather. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. How old was Moses at this time? Well, he was 80. He was getting on in years, as it were. He's tending the flock of his father, Jethro, the the one who had spent the first 40 years of his life in the, the luxury and the comfort of the house of Pharaoh, now living what would appear to be a fairly ordinary life, shepherding sheep, which was an occupation that, incidentally, was despised by the Egyptians. This was seen as the lowest of the low occupation to, to shepherd the sheep. And isn't that ironic when, just as an aside, in our own day, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the good shepherd, the great shepherd, he is despised in so many ways. And so we see here Moses working with the sheep, and as he did, no doubt, I know there are farmers here this evening, those who work the land, and when you're out in the land, your thoughts go everywhere, I'm sure, you you think about different things. Moses would have been no different. His mind, no doubt, would have turned back to his Hebrew brethren, those that he'd left behind, those who we read at the end of chapter 2 were were now groaning and crying out because of the bondage that was there. But one day, as he's tending the sheep, an ordinary day, so he thought, he notices something, something strange. Because as he's there, minding his own business, In the middle of the desert we read, just quite out of the blue, that the angel of the Lord appeared to him. That the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now I don't know about you, but I find angels fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Perhaps not least because scripture really only refers to to angels casually. We don't get a lot of detail about angels, but we do get some. And what we know is that that angels, we might think that angels have uh, lived in heaven uh, for all eternity. They've always been there. But that's not so. Angels are created beings, just like you and just like me. Scripture tells us that in Nehemiah chapter 9. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, we read there, the heaven of heavens with all their host. Now host there, that means angels. The earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven, angels, worship you. And then in the New Testament, we read in Colossians 1, For by him, that is Jesus Christ, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And so as created beings, angels did not live in eternity past. 
nor are they omniscient, which means all-knowing, or omnipresent, which, which means that they have the, the ability to be in more than one place at one time. They don't have uh, these attributes like God does. But they do have, as we've just read that in Nehemiah, they worship God. They worship God. And they look in, Scripture says elsewhere, even when we're wor- we are worshipping God, they're looking in. And they're looking in with awe because they themselves have not been saved. They themselves have not been redeemed in the way that we have if we're God's people tonight. And so they're looking into what we're doing, almost longing to be part of that. Now throughout scripture we see that different names are given to angels. Job chapter 1, they're referred to as the sons of God. Job 38, they're referred to as the morning stars. But yet, and this is interesting, and perhaps not something we think about too often, although angels, we think of them living in another dimension in, in heaven, the book of Hebrews makes clear that both our worlds, our world rather, and the world of angels, they do interact. Just as I alluded to a minute ago, they do interact with with at least some of their business, if you like, relating to the affairs of the world. And and the clue is in the word, word angel, because the word angel it translates as messenger. That's what it means. An angel is a messenger. And that's what they are. They're messengers. Hebrews 1.14 tells us that they are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation. And then in Hebrews 13.2, some have entertained angels unawares, without knowing it. That could be you. That could be me. That angels have been sent by God as messengers in whatever way, for whatever reason, to minister to our need at a particular time. And yet only eternity will perhaps reveal that that has been in our experience. We must never subdue the supernatural, friends. We are a supernatural people. We believe in God by his Spirit. And so as we think about angels, we believe in angels, although we don't uh, worship angels. And so here we have Moses confronted with an angel. But this is no ordinary angel, and this is this is important. Because this isn't the kind of angel that I've just been describing. Because if you look closely at the text, it doesn't read that an angel of the Lord appeared to Moses. It doesn't say that, but rather the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses. The angel of the Lord. This wasn't any angel. This wasn't a created angel. This was, in fact, the angel of the covenant. The angel of the covenant. Well, Hebrews 1.4 makes clear the, the distinction between Jesus and these created angels, stating that he is so much better than them as he has obtained an inheritance more excellent 
than theirs. That inheritance coming, of course, from the very fact that he forms part of the infinite Godhead of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And throughout Scripture we see many examples of the angel of the Lord. Genesis 16, we read of the angel of the Lord speaking to Hagar at the well. You might remember the story. In what we can only assume was human forum. The angel of the Lord told her that she would have a son by the name of Ishmael. Hagar's response, of course, tells us exactly who this angel of the Lord was. We read that she responds by calling on the name of the Lord that spoke to her. Calling on the name of the Lord that spoke to her. The angel of the Lord was in fact the Lord himself. And if we're going to use theological language, this is what we would call a theophany. A theophany, a physical yet a divine manifestation of the living God. And in fact, many Reformed commentators would go further and say that not only is this a theophany, but more specifically, a Christophany. A physical manifestation of the second person of the Godhead, the Lord Jesus Christ, revealed on earth in the form of human flesh. We're still speaking about the appearance to Hagar uh, prior to his incarnation in order to act as a messenger for God the Father. And so it is with Moses here. Here he has this encounter with the angel of the Lord. But this is different. Because unlike other instances of the angel of the Lord appearing, we don't actually see uh, Moses encountering this angel in the form of a human, the form of a man. Which takes us to our second point, appearance. As I said, Moses is there in Horeb with a flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, in an ordinary run-of-the-mill day, so he thought... When he notices something, he notices that there in front of him is a burning bush. Nothing strange about that, you might think, considering the the scorching heat of the desert. Bushes could quite easily spontaneously uh, ignite at any point. That would be commonplace. But of course, what also would be commonplace is that if a bush ignited in this way, what would happen? Well, it would burn, and it would burn quickly. There are young ones here, don't try this at home, but when when you light a piece of paper, a sheet of paper, what you see is it it burns out very, very quickly and and goes to dust. That's the way it, it should have been for this bush. It should have burnt into a pile of ashes within a couple of minutes, but not so. Not so, because there's something very strange, if if we can even use that word, something very different about this particular bush. Because what we read is that Moses uh, looked at the bush that was burning, but it was not consumed. It kept burning, and kept burning, and, and kept its shape. It wasn't disintegrating, it wasn't turning to ash, it was burning, it was burning, it was burning. We go back to Nectam and consume a batter, you see that emblem of the burning bush. And so, as you would expect, Moses goes to investigate, he goes to have a look at this strange, this very strange phenomenon. And he does, he does so, things become even more mysterious, because right there from the middle of the bush, now, remember friends, this 
This happened. And there's always the temptation when we read scripture that it's almost a fantasy fiction novel. And we detach ourselves from what we're reading on the pages of scripture as if it couldn't really happen. This actually happened. And so put yourself in the position of Moses. He goes to this bush that isn't burning, isn't uh, burning down as it were, and he hears a voice. Was he hallucinating? Was he taking some kind of turn? Was that what was happening? No, it wasn't. Because here he, calling his name was the very voice of the very God. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. Can you just imagine how Moses felt? He'd been carrying on with his ordinary every day where he hears this voice, Moses, Moses interrupting him, challenging him. And you know, what we see here, friends, is, is the way that God often chooses to interact with us, not from a burning bush, but he does speak to us, does he not, and interrupt our ordinary every day. He comes into our experience sometimes in unexpected ways. And he does this, why? He does this in order to get our attention. Because we need to be brought back. We need to be spoken to by him quite directly. And so he does this. And as Moses gets closer, God gives him instruction. He says in verse 5, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Here we see something, just something of of the glory, of, of the majesty, of the splendor of who God is. That Moses can, can barely approach him, never mind look at him. He's asked to put off his sandals. This was, of course, a, a sign of respect, a, a sign of submission, much like in our own uh, culture, taking off your hat if you're a male in a building would be a, a sign of respect. Uh, He's asked to take off his sandals. This, this was holy ground. This was ground that wasn't to be soiled by the soles of his shoes. And you know, as we read this, we have much to give thanks for. We talked about that this morning. Because as we reflect on our interaction with God, we praise God, friends, tonight, do we not, that we are not called to take off our sandals, nor do we hide our face before we come to God. None of that's required. None of that's required because the curtain of the temple has been torn in two. The way has been opened. The way has been opened so that we have direct access through Christ the great high priest to the holy of holies. That's the access you and I have to God. Unfettered access. What a privilege. 
what an honour. But you might be thinking, well, I wish I could hear God's voice. You're saying all of this, but I, I wish I could hear God's voice myself. It's been so long, to the point where I cry out with one of all, my leanness, my leanness, I want to hear his voice. And you might think that these blessings are, are only for, for uh, believers in Scripture, that what we see in these holy men is uh, completely out of our reach. Not so. Because we come tonight and we worship the self-same God. He reveals himself differently, but tonight he's speaking to us. He's speaking to you. He's speaking to me. Not in a bush, but here in his word. I think that's something that, myself included, we all need to, to come back to. The wonder of the special revelation of God to us. There are two revelations. The general revelation is his creation. That's how he, he shows us himself generally and to all of mankind, reminding us that there's a higher being. But the creation doesn't tell us that great plan of redemption, that way of escape. That's why we have this, this special revelation that God, a God who's infinite, eternal and unchangeable, he would choose he would choose to reveal himself to us in a way that we can understand through words. Now we don't think about that often, I dare say. But it's such a mercy. It's, it's such a blessing that here we have the voice of God in front of us from Genesis to Revelation. And so I suppose our own challenge, friends, is to come to God's word afresh, expectantly, prayerfully. To come with that joy of the Lord as our strength. Not as a matter of course, but what is God saying to me? Can I hear his voice? And so we might then ask, coming back to, to the text before us, why? Why has the Lord condescended to reveal himself in such a way? I suppose if we were writing the script, we would never, ever dare to compile it in such a way that God would reveal himself through a thorny bush. But of course, time and time again, the Lord condescends to, to compare himself to ordinary things. I am the bread of life. I'm the door, the gate. Even as he laments over Jerusalem, he, he speaks of himself or he compares himself to a hen. Imagine a hen gathering her chicks under her wing. That's our God. A God who condescends to come to that place of humility and servant submission to draw us to himself. That's his love. That's the measures that he goes to for you and for me tonight. But what about the thorny bush in the midst of the desert? Why does he do this? Well, Isaiah 53 might give us a clue. Verse 2. This is speaking, of course, prophesying of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. For he shall grow up before him 
as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness and when we see him there's no beauty that we should desire him. This lowly thorn bush, this dry and bleached thorn bush in the sun was, was a fitting emblem of the nature that the Son of God would take. A picture, a picture of that tender plant, of that root out of a dry ground. The, the one who took upon himself the frailties of human flesh so that men and women, boys and girls, could know something of this revelation of God. And you know, in this thorn bush, we, we see more. We see that it's burning continually. What does this tell us? It's not being fed by its surroundings. It's not relying on earthly fuel around it in order to sustain itself. Why? Because Christ is dependent on no one. He is, we read there, at the great I am. God said to Moses, I am who I am. He's the one who exists in himself. He's the one who who endlessly and unchangeably, he's he's able to reveal himself to us, to, to shine the light of his countenance upon us. And he has absolutely no need of anything to help him to fan that flame. None of this is by chance. That the Lord has chosen to reveal himself in a a burning bush. None of it's by chance or coincidence. He's ordered this to speak to us. And think about fire itself. What does fire do? Well, it does two different things. It purifies, but it also also, um, damages as well. And so it is with our Lord, his, his saving work and in one sense, what it does, it leaves us pure as his people. It, it leaves us purified from all of our sins in him. But it also acts as a fire of judgment. If we're not his, as it condemns us, that's the nature of our Lord. And that's a solemn thought for us this evening and so here we have the angel we have the appearance perhaps you're a Christian here tonight and he's calling you he's calling you out of the ordinary every day I don't know not perhaps to to lead the Israelites out of Egypt but nonetheless I wonder is he calling you to commit to be willing to give more of yourself to him That's, that's what he doing to Moses to lead a people to a land flowing with milk and honey Moses was no different to you or me he had his own doubts and fears his own insecurities his own difficulties and so I wonder tonight is God calling you is he speaking to you maybe you you're not a Christian you call yourself a seeker well, if that's you tonight, friends, the angel of the Lord is calling you too. He is calling you. And I say he because we never refer to him as it. I corrected myself on that earlier. He's calling you. He's calling you to, to be willing to, to take that step out of the boat. What happened, what happened with Moses? He had to go closer. 
He had to go closer to hear the voice of God. And so it is with you, dear unconverted friend. You need to come closer. Never mind staying on the fringes. Come closer and closer and closer and hear his voice calling you to himself. Calling you to to serve him as a child of the king. Maybe you're not a seeker. Maybe you're here out of duress tonight or respect or other reasons. I don't know. But he's calling you also, friend. He's, He's not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance before it's too late. So there we have Nectam and Consumabatar. For all of us here tonight, a lot more could have been said about this. We've just skirted around it really. But this is a motto that we can all live by. This is our church's motto. But it ought also to be your motto and my motto. That we would look to the bush that was not consumed. That we would look to Jesus. That we would look to, to the brightness of the light that he casts upon the darkness of our souls. A, a glory and a light and a power that will never be consumed. That we would experientially know of the fire of God's spirit. A fire dwelling within us. Wouldn't that be wonderful? A fire that will never ever be put out. That's our hope tonight Christian friend. That we will never be consumed. Our mortal frame will pass from this world, that is true. But it's only a temporary arrangement. Our soul and our body will be reunited. Never to be consumed. Never to part again. To live in perfect harmony. One with another and with the Lord Jesus Christ. For all eternity. That that would be our testimony our motto, Nectamen, consume a Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that you've condescended to reveal yourself to us in such glorious ways, in your scripture, in your truth, a treasure trove of that which nourishes us and feeds us and reveals to us the beauty of your holiness. Help us, Lord, we pray, to remain at the cross, to cast our eyes upon our crucified Saviour, and to each and every day in our hearts cry out, He died for me, that we would lay hold of this glorious reality for ourselves, a reality that will uh, lead us not only to have blessings in time, but for all eternity. Bless, O Lord, our unconverted friends here this evening. We pray for them, although we might not know them personally. You know them by their name. And you are calling them this evening hour to yourself. To draw nigh to you, so that you might draw nigh to them. Part us in with your blessing. Be with us in our final item of praise. And forgive us for Jesus' sake. Amen. We will conclude friends singing. We're going to sing from Psalm 34. Psalm 34. This is the Sing Psalms version. At all times I will bless the Lord. I'll praise him with my voice. Because I glory in the Lord. Let's troubled 
souls rejoice. Let's stand to sing verses 1 to 9. At all times I will bless the Lord. the benediction. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit rest on and abide with you now and forevermore.